Please bow your hearts in prayer with me. Father, we pray that as we gather in, in what would feel just very routine of coming together as your people and, and sitting down to hear from your word, Lord, we, I pray that we would not miss the glory of Christ. That we wouldn't be distracted from it, that we wouldn't find it to be something that would be forgetful. Lord, let us see what John is communicating. Help us to understand the fullness of Christ this morning. And that out of his fullness, Lord, that, that you would do so much in our hearts. Forgive us of all of our ungodliness. Forgive us of every expression of sin that we have. Adopt us as your children. Make us one with you so that we can walk with you. Lord, we praise you for this and we thank you for this. And we ask for your help in understanding these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a kid, um, my parents had this giant plastic bag that was like a wrapping paper pattern. It was like red with like gold bows and presents on it. And they would use this bag if, if a member of the family got a gift that was just either too big to wrap or so big that you're like, I'll just stick it in a bag and we'll call it wrapping. Uh, that that bag was saved for that. But the bag didn't appear until sometime after my sister and I had gone to bed, you know? So we'd wake up Christmas morning, and then we would see the bag. We were really good at naming stuff in my family, so uh, really creative. So the, the exciting thing on Christmas morning is we'd come up, and there would be the bag. And then the obvious question is, whose gift is in the bag? And, and it might not even be the, the quote-unquote best gift that's under the tree, uh, maybe not the most valuable, but it was the biggest, it was exciting because the bag and the bag only gets brought out on these special occasions. And in, in our childhood logic, it was uh, the biggest gift equated to the greatest quality of gift. And I cannot tell you today how many times my gift was in the bag, nor can I tell you today, I don't think a single gift that I got that was in the bag. I don't remember any of them, but I remember the bag. When Christ came, yes, there were angels, there was a star, and eventually an entourage of magi that thanks to Christmas carols we've reduced to three. Yet even with all this fanfare and noise, virtually everyone in time seemed to either miss what had transpired or forget that even with the glory of the angels appearing, the shepherds coming to town, the star appearing, the magi coming, even with all of that, <coughs> excuse me, everyone just seemed to forget 
I think part of it is because uh, the manger and especially Bethlehem are just the opposite of what you would expect when it comes to the glory of God coming down. It's the opposite of a giant wrapping paper bag that my parents would employ. John wants us to know that the, that the incarnation of Christ was beyond what could be contained in the bag. It was, it was even beyond the angels and the shepherds. It was not ordinary, but it was the full glory of God coming down. But we so easily forget. I mean, can you even remember the best present you got four years ago? Guessing not. And we so easily forget. We get, we get distracted, or the glory of that moment just kind of fades in. You know, a few news cycles go over it, a few sports seasons go over it. You just forget. The thing you got fades away or gets outdated by newer technology. And while the manger in Bethlehem are probably the greatest understatements of all time, they are filled with, the events of Christ's birth are filled with and revolve around the glory of God. And John has built this up. John, in his unique telling of the coming of Christ, has built this up. And we've been going through this since, since uh, right after Thanksgiving. Verse 1. Uh, starting in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That we learn that Christ is God, he was with God, he's the creator, he's the recreator, or as Josh said, he's the restorer of creation. He is the light that shines in the darkness. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, but that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light that God in the desire that all would believe sent messengers. John was just the newest messenger. But there are other messengers before him over and over again about this light coming. And the true light which gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him, that we are fallen, that we have not recognized Christ. And he came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor the will of man, but, the will, but of God. That this light who came, who was prophesied, was unrecognized by fallen man, brings us in to God's family by the will of God. And now verse 14. Where, we, where we're picking up this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. 
And John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He, comes after, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What we see in verses 14 to 17 is that now the, the full, the complete Savior, He's full of God's glory, He's full of grace and truth, He brings God's glory to us and us to God's glory. The Word brought the glory of God to us. And He did it in the fullness of His deity. The fullness of His glory. He, he does this through his deity. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, verse 14. This is a profound verse. Jesus has done here a very divine act and it expresses the divine heart of God. That he would make his dwelling among us. This has been the will of the Father since the people of Israel were leaving Egypt. I will be with them as their God. They will be with me as my people. It has been his will and desire, the God, the Father, to walk with them. It takes us back to the garden when God would walk with people, and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And it causes us to look forward to when we will all be as believers in the city of God with him and the fulfillment of this heart of God that goes through the whole Old Testament will be realized in completeness that he will be with us as our God and we with him as his people. And here in John 1, John describes this incarnation of Christ, this dwelt among us. The literal word there is he tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. And what more appropriate Old Testament image could there be than the tabernacle for what's happening here? The tabernacle, we think of the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant and the gold of the Ark, but really the tabernacle from the outside, even though it contained the Holy of Holies, even though that's where the priests would go and mediate between God and man and, and offer the sacrifice of atonement on the Day of Atonement, even with, with all the, the specialness of what the tabernacle was on the outside, it looked unbelievably plain, and it wasn't that big. And what an appropriate picture of Christ coming down with the full glory of God dwelling among us with a completely plain and unimpressive exterior while he himself is a son of God. Our Savior came. He, he pitched his tent in Bethlehem to be moved to Egypt as a child, then back to Nazareth. It was a walking, breathing, teaching, and healing, holy of holies among the people. 
John now, looking back on the ministry of Jesus, word became flesh, he dwelt among us, we have seen his glory. He's teaching us a couple of important things. Well, one is, is that while Jesus denied himself access to his divine attributes as being fully God, think of you know, the, the clearest example is omnipresence. That when Jesus came to earth, he couldn't be everywhere at once. He had to walk. Uh, horribly inconvenient. He did not become less God. He denied himself his access to these things. But he did not become less God. Instead, he added humanity to his deity, becoming fully God and fully man. And, and his glory is glory as of the only Son of the Father. It expresses his sonship to God. That this, this was not a glory he grew into. It was not a glory he earned on the cross and in the resurrection. That he came in glory, glory as the Son. Or as, as the Apostle Paul would put it in Philippians 2, John is saying, we witness glory come down who is very nature God. And even in Christ's fullest humility while he was on earth, his place in the Trinity was in no way compromised. And for the, the church historians in here who love the Nicene Creed, there's no more appropriate Sunday to remember that, that Christ being Son of God as right before Christmas, as we remember the day that, that jolly old Saint Nick punched a heretic in the face for denying this truth. Look it up, it's great. <laughs> he didn't get coal in his stocking, he got a busted nose for denying that Christ is the Son of God and always has been. 325 AD, if you need help Googling that. It'll just give you new meaning to Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> we need to look at the fullness of Christ's glory because here's, here's what I'm afraid our tendency is. When we read verse 14, we jump right to the last three words. Word of God became flesh, dwelt among us, we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son, the Father, full, full of grace and truth. And we just jump to that. And those are great words, and we're going to spend a good amount of time on them. Because he came in the fullness of grace and truth, but his fullness of grace and truth flows out of his glory. Jesus came down and brought with him glory. It shows the heart of God in a way that we so often miss. Jesus, he didn't come down with some sort of spiritual cleaning crew. He didn't come down with a red carpet for him to walk on. He came down in humility and full of glory. And at Christmas time, it's important for us to ask, not just Christmas, all the time, but two times a year, Christmas and Easter, bring this question more and more, when you think of Jesus, what comes to mind? 
And I just want to know. And I want you to ask yourself, when, when I think of Jesus, what comes to mind? And is what comes to mind, does that lack glory? And ultimately, this comes down to a lordship question. If my Jesus lacks glory, then does my Jesus have the right to tell me to take up my cross and follow him? If my Jesus lacks glory, then is he my Lord? Let us not miss the glory of God and let us not try to take grace and truth apart from the glory of God. They'll lose their strength. They'll lose their potency. And so here he comes, flowing out of the fullness of his glory, flows the fullness of his grace and truth. And this phrase, full of, of grace and truth, it tends to, to spin a little bit of a misnomer in our minds. And that is that grace and truth are two distinct ingredients that Jesus has magically brought together, like the, a divine Gordon Ramsay. And, and, and when we do this, we say, oh, grace, this is unmerited favor from God. He's gentle with sinners. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He's loving. He's forgiving. He saves. But, but, but truth, truth is that God is holy. He's this consuming fire and, and it's, it's true that we are sinners and he calls a sin a sin. He doesn't permit sin in, in, and he doesn't hold back in order to avoid hurting our feelings. The dangers of emphasizing grace or truth are well marked throughout Christian history. And you can see them Probably, I'm guessing, if you just go around to the right slash wrong churches now, you'd see these abundantly clear. It, it's well documented that those who neglect truth and permit everything in the name of grace do damage, and those who so overemphasize what they call truth are really preaching some form of debilitating moralism that no one can achieve. And neither of these are really overemphasizing grace or truth at the expense of another. Instead, they are neglecting what they're actually trying to do. They're, they're neglecting their own ingredient. That when, when someone says all grace, all grace, and they're low on truth, they're really neglecting grace. And when someone says truth, 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 and they're low on grace, they're really neglecting the fullness of truth. To put it in simple Christmas American commercialism words, grace and truth are not sold separately. They always and only go together. Grace without truth is not a more soothing message, but a human self-centered justification. And actually, truth without grace is the same attempt at a human self-centered justification. And it, and it actually is worse as it further separates people from God by either denying the problem of their sin or denying the actual solution to their sin. 
Any attempt at truth without grace is self-defeating lie that treats God's grace as expendable instead of truth itself. You can't speak truth without talking about the grace of God. And you cannot properly express grace without the truth that we are hopelessly sinful and sitting under judgment without Christ. Truth and grace always go together. And John is really not saying anything new. This is, this is, in a lot of ways, it's a rewording of what we read in the Old Testament over and over again as God's steadfast love, that his love is not moving. It's not dependent on us. It doesn't cater to us. It doesn't lower the holiness of God to us, but it is steady. It is steadfast. It is based on who God is, and it is loving. It is always there. God in his overwhelming love and purity calls us to holiness in truth and gracefully supplies what we need to walk in. God gave the law. God gave the sacrifices and patience out of his grace and truth in his steadfast love. He then sent his son as the fullest fulfillment of his steadfast love and kindness of this grace and truth. And so the word brought the glory of God to us through the fullness of his glory. The son who ranks before John, who is eternally past, who is John, in, the, in the John 1, 1 to 4, who was with God in the beginning, who created all things and is now bringing about new creation by bringing life and light and through the fullness of his grace and truth. And the word not only brings the glory of God to us, the word takes us to the glory of God. The word takes us to the glory of God. Jesus came here in order to take us there. He came here in order to take us there. And to do so through the only means possible, himself. The word takes us to the glory of God through his abundant fullness. I want you to just take a breath, close your eyes, and listen to verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now look up so I don't think you're sleeping. Do you know what this means? Do you, do you see what John is saying here? It means that Jesus never runs out of grace for you. Being full of glory and full of grace and truth. He gives grace upon grace. He continually gives grace. He uses his fullness for us. Think about what your struggles have been just the last month. Your addictions, your pride, your anger, how judgmental you can be, your behavior in traffic, what you do when no one is watching. And all the guilt you felt, and, just, and I'm just talking about December. All the guilt you felt, and the text still says, from his fullness he gives grace upon grace. 
And you may be tempted to say, but you don't know what I've been struggling with. You don't know the depths of my fallenness. I don't, but I do know that Jesus gives grace upon grace. He doesn't run out. His grace is not budgeted. There's some of you, you have to budget your grace and patience and you get to the end of the day and there's someone in your house that either gets you to think internally or vocalize, I'm out of it. I'm out of patience. I'm out of grace. This is done. Jesus doesn't feel that way about you. God the Father doesn't feel that way about you. He doesn't get to like a certain point and he's like, Bleh. he did it again. He loves you. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Here's what I want you to do. If you're struggling with this, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to get a piece of paper and just get your favorite ballpoint pen. Write out these things that are just bringing you guilt and guilt and guilt. And that you, maybe you need more than two pieces of paper because you don't repent of your sins very often. I don't know. But just write out, write out these things, these sources of guilt and shame in your life. And then I want you to, and maybe you need to go to Office Depot, just get a fat red Sharpie. And over all of them, after you've prayed for God's forgiveness, write grace upon grace, just over each one. Grace upon grace, grace upon grace, grace upon grace. And then when you're done, burn it or throw it away. It's done. You have received from the fullness of Christ grace upon grace. So he does this. The word takes us to the glory of God through his abundant fullness and by establishing a new way of walking with God. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John is communicating something here. He is summarizing the Bible in one verse. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Through Moses, God gives his law. Moses was this prophet and mediator. He led the people in the Exodus. He led them right up to the promised land. And in that time, he went up on the mountain. God gave him the law. And God said, through Moses, this is what it means to walk with me. If you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God, this is how you do it. You walk righteously. You have these Ten Commandments. They're fleshed out through the rest of what it means to, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then when you don't do it, here's all these sacrifices. Here's all these ways to get your forgiveness through sacrifice. When you sin, something dies. I count that death instead of yours. And in the middle there are a whole bunch of festivals and celebrations you need to have because walking with God, while a lot of people don't realize this, is supposed to be joyful. And an expression of the abundance we get from the Lord. And the law points out over and over again our need for the sacrifice 
because it reveals to us over and over again our inability to walk righteously on our own. That you, with all your best effort and all your best work ethic, cannot do it. The law came through Moses, this covenant of how to walk with God. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, this new covenant. This new covenant that says the truth is still there. You still need to walk with God. You still need to fear the Lord, to not covet, to not slander, to not steal, to not murder, to not have idols. But the sacrifice has been done. The sacrifice has been taken care of. You don't offer sacrifices, but you trust in a sacrifice that has been offered. starts out in John 1, 1 1-4, that Jesus is God, He created, and then He brought life and life. And here, in verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. One of my favorite Dutch theologians put it this way, if He can make it, then surely He can save it. And even now today, Christ is leading us through word, through the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin, and through his body, the believers that we need so much to be a part of, who help us grow in Christ, who continually point us to truth and grace, because they are not sold separately. And Jesus walks with us now. And I, I just want to know, I, I, Do you see how much the Lord loves you from this passage? Do you see the love of God? You were made by God and you rebelled and so did I. Over and over and we'll do it again this week. Even on Christmas Day we'll do it. And this week as you go through your, I don't know what your spiritual routine is with Christmas. As you go through your quiet times this week, maybe you're reading the different accounts of the birth of Christ. As you, uh, maybe you're reading the fixated devotional. We still have some copies out there. Maybe, you, you, you know, you come to the Christmas Eve service. As you're doing all of that and whatever else you do on Christmas Day, in the midst of all of it, I want you to do in your heart and mind what we're about to do now. To remember. To remember that we so often forget the glory of Christ. We forget that He's the Son of God who came in the fullness of grace and truth. To remember God's great love for you. To remember that we have received grace upon grace. Remember that some 2,000 years ago, born in the humblest of ways, came the Word made flesh. And that what He has done on the cross, leaving the tomb empty, leaving the tomb empty and defeated, means that you, in all your struggles, 
can have grace upon grace. What a glorious Savior we have. The praise team is going to come forward, and we're going, to, we're going to sing a little bit. And as we're singing about the glory of Christ, you just you need to take out the bread and just hold it in your hand, remembering Christ's flesh that was broken on the cross. And remembering all that He has done for us. And remembering that we have grace upon grace.